0: Hello everyone, welcome and welcome back to my channel, I'm in. Well, look at that, 2023 is about to wrap up and it feels like I haven't done much. But when I glance back, I've been actually uploading videos since the 5th of March 2023 and stuck with it for a solid 9 months. Started from struggling to complete a sentence in my first video, spending a week or even two editing it, to now confidently talking in front of the camera without sampling kind (sighs) of. That's some progress that I am proud of. This is probably gonna be my last video of 2023, so let's make it a bit longer. (laughs) Take some time to dive into a serial killer case. Of course, because my wallet in 2023 is giving me the side eye and my usual tradition of welcoming the new year with international travel might be replaced with some homeboy vibes. So I thought why not share one of my favorite true crime stories from Thailand, a country known for its strong beliefs. Um, Check out this super cute and popular video. That's this little dog, right? Dragging its two hind legs with all its might on the road using its front legs to crawl. And guess what, it's right here on a busy street with cars zooming by, in no time. Someone pulls over, blocking the little dog to make sure no oblivious driver squashes it. The driver then steps out already to lend a helping hand to the struggling pupper. Now as this person slowly approaches the dog, guess what the little football does? And magically, tops up its hind legs and dashes away. Leaving behind that pitiful look it had uh, moments ago, Hillman, while he was standing there looking utterly bewildered. That's Thailand for you. Even when a dog needs help, there's always someone ready to lend a hand. So, seriously, Seems a bit out of place in the line of Buddha, right? What's the deal with that? They caught a guy, hit the Reaper in the tabloids. And he got caught and then let go only to keep on doing his thing. Why? What? Without further ado, let's dive right into the story and find out what the heck happened. Thailand has this cool border town called the Khan that sits right along the Mekong River. Um, I'm gonna put the correct pronunciation from AI of this town. And every year, they throw this awesome fair in the city. It's like a big party that happens from the 9th to the 17th of January in front of this provincial hall. The whole point of this fair is to show off all the cool stuff that the province has to offer like their products and touristic attractions if you go you can shop for local goodies watch a cool parade with people wearing tribal costumes join a tamarind contest, see the local pageant and enjoy folk art performances it's gonna be a blast it's January, and this small town is flooded with tourists, making the nightlife super lively. You can see tuk-tuk drivers with big smiles on their faces and zooming around over the town, excitedly fearing guests. So on the evening of the 29th of January 2005, there's this tuk-tuk driver just chilling on the roadside, waiting for passengers. He's watching the crowd on the street, taking it all in. Then, out of nowhere, a bellboy from a nearby hotel comes up to him with a dude and says, Hey man, take the gentleman to the coolest spot around here, would you? Well, you know the answer. So without even thinking twice, our tuk-tuk driver smoothly navigates through the crazy traffic and all the people with the customer in tow. Before you know it, they are pulling up to this entrance of a bar and the passenger hops off. Then the driver left with a sweet tip. The guy with the awesome singer in the club found a table, got a few drinks, and had a great time listening to this amazing voice of the singer. Soon as the girl on the stage finished her performance for the night and was about to leave, the guy approached her. He told her that he had been watching her for a while and thought her voice was really special had the potential to be famous. The girl blushed when she heard a compliment. After chatting for a while, the two of them eventually decided to bounce together. When the girl gave the bar owner an excuse and mentioned her plan to deal with the customer, the owner, being a bit skeptical, asked if she actually knew the dude. The girl said she didn't know him but she was super stoked to leave. She told the owner that The dude who is from a talent agency in Bangkok and seemed interested in her, hinting that she would become a big shot. The owner, noticing the girl's excited vibe and strong desire to leave, nodded in understanding and let them bounce. The owner did consider stopping the girl from going out with strangers, but they all understand her tough situation. She's the one supporting all the expenses of a really big family. Even if it's not for fame, she needed to offer extra services to get tips beyond the regular performances. Later that night, that dude brought the girl back to the Ploy Palace Hotel. Despite the two had had dinner before coming back, he still caught up for a room service, you know, to impress the girl and showed off that he was loaded. The next morning, the deal left the hotel by himself. In regular encounters and stories, the common ending might be that the girl's feelings were hurt. But in today's story, the girl sadly lost her life. And I think you expected that. Around 9 a.m. on the 30th of January 2005, the hotel maid walked into the guest room for her usual cleaning routine. When she pushed the door open, she saw that the bathroom was all messy. But you know, for the cleaning stuff, it was just another day on the job. The maid was about to start humming a tune while getting ready to clean. When she opened the bathroom door, and boy, was she surprised. She was so startled that she almost dropped the cloth she was holding. There was this naked girl, had it in this bathtub that was full of water. Her hands were tied behind her neck with her own slingery, and she didn't look like she was breathing. The hotel maid screamed in shock and immediately ran to find the manager. Together, they called the police. He's arrived to the crime scene and discovered some fingerprints and hairs in that very hotel room. And the forensic also reported that the victim was died of suffocation, but she wasn't drowned. Despite she was found with her head in this um, bathtub, according to the analysis, she was apparently choked to death and then placed to the tub by the perpetrator. They also found Sumon in the private parts, though it looked like it was from consensual sex. On the meantime, the police got to ask the hotel staff and noted down that this particular room was booked on the 29th, one day before the murder took place. And yep, they didn't have this TV installed in this hotel registration hall back in the days. So basically, the hotel staff had to just go off of their fussy memories to describe what this potential killer looked like. And since the registration information was incomplete, nobody could figure out who the, that person was either right away. The cops had to go around to bars and clubs nearby, asking for help in figuring who this body belonged to. And eventually, they were able to find out who she was. Her name was Veroni, she was a cafe singer and she was only 25 years old at the time. According to her manager in the pub, she was the only breadwinner in her family. She got five younger siblings and parents that financially relied on her. The girl who was always struggling with money was really attached to her family. She had been staying up for a long time to get a motorbike with the plan of bringing it home for the whole family to use. She would often express her worries about how tough it was for her younger siblings to walk 5 kilometers every day just to get to school. And you know what? Her younger siblings, being the caring souls that they are, felt very sorry for their sister who was supporting this entire family. They insisted she be the one to use this only motorbike for her daily commute, even convincing her that it would make it easier for her to find a job and bring in more money for the family. Although Varuni had such a financial struggle, she was a lively and cheerful girl, always chatty, playful, and full of energy. She made a decent income as a singer, as she was indeed very good at performing, but she had to support seven other people money earned as a singer is obviously not enough to cover the expenses of this big family altogether, so she sometimes took on extra clients and provided additional services to help make ends meet. We can't judge on this, right? In Thailand, participating in sex work is against the law, however, there are some legal gray areas, and exceptions in how the country deals with this sex industry. Despite the ban on sex work, there are places called the red light districts where the sex industry might be somewhat tolerated and regulated. Lots of the sex transactions happen in sports like karaoke bars, massage parlors, and bars. Many people working in these establishments faced big financial pressures. A significant number of individuals involved in sex work come from poor families with many dependents, and they tend to sex work as a way to financially support their families, like the case we just come across. Of course, as in many tragic stories, there are also instances where women engaged in sex work are physically coerced, by their male relatives, including husbands. Well, at least talking to the colleagues and friends of the victim, the police figured out that this poor girl lost not only her life, but also her valuables like her motorbike, a gold necklace, and a mobile phone. Moreover, after the interviews, the cops found something interesting. The guy the victim mentioned to the bar owner climb, to work for some um, entertainment companies. However, the hotel registration information said he was a staff member working on filming local history and documentaries, which is a completely different job. But he left the same names to both occasions, which is Samkit Pompang, when the cops checked, they found out that the, the company the guy mentioned didn't even exist. And guess what? When they compared the hair, fingerprints, and semen they found at the crime scene with the police database, they couldn't find a match for the dude. The no criminal record. But the way this person committed the crimes didn't seem like a first timer, right? With all that violence and bondage he forced upon the victim. So up until now, the police had only this guy's name, a name that no one knew if it was real. And like I mentioned, this particular city is at the border, so the suspect could have left Thailand already if he wanted to. This case ran into that end at this point. So two months later, on the 9th of March 2005, the Thai police held a nationwide conference to discuss the case. There were many detectives, right? And while they have the name and this check-in paper the suspect had signed, what would they do? First, they threw the name Samkit into the database for a rough screening. It spelled out a bunch of people since you know, Samkit is like a common name in Thailand. At least that's what they said in the documents that I read. Kind of like Sam is in the English world. Among these names, there were indeed some with a history of run-ins with the Lord. Now, what to do? There's a list of them, right? The police had a light bulb moment. Why not compare the handwritings? Finally, after a lot of effort and help from handwriting experts, they found a letter of repentance from a person named Samkit, who has a criminal record. They compared the two, and voila the handwriting matched. Of course, since I'm not familiar with Thai script, I can not tell if there are any real differences between the two. If any of my viewers happen to know Thai, feel free to drop a comment and enlighten us on the similarity of these handwritings, please. So anyway, with the handwritings, they got to go back to the file and checking why the Samkit kid ended up in prison. They found out it was because he had provided false testimony in an assassination attempt on a um, governor. Plus, since Samkid was a minor at the time, they didn't collect his biometric information. No wonder why when the police tried to match his DNA directly with the database that got even though they did manage to confirm his identity, but still no one knew where the heck he was. Still on loose. And we all know that Siri killer wouldn't be satisfied with only one victim, right? Only five months later, after the first victim was found, on the 5th of June 2005, in Muang Lampang, I I I really need to put the I, I pronunciation for the city. Sorry, I can't speak Thai. Muang Lampang. Um, that's about several hundred kilometers away from Macdonham, where was the first murder discovered? The hotel cleaner in charge of room six o four found. 34-year-old Feng Fang dead on the bed, and her phone and rang but nowhere to be seen. And the forensics found that she was also strangled to death. But that wasn't the worst part yet. After they had done the autopsy, they realized that this woman was pregnant when she was killed. Since she was pregnant, presumably she would have a partner to make the baby with, right? So the police did some research and found out that the victim had a fiance. The always-husband theory looks like it will be applied in this scenario. As on the night of the 21st, he was sent to give her a ride on his bike to this very hotel where this crime took place, but he took off pretty quickly, which meant that he delivered his fiancée to engage in... um, Prostitution. And this guy is a 51 year old furniture merchant. He wasn't too broke or anything, and we are not sure if he knew that his fiance was pregnant. The fiance climbed the killer, introduced himself as a tourist, hired the masseuse as a companion for three days, you know, from the second to the fourth of June. So he dropped off the victim at a hotel two days before the incident. claimed he didn't want his fiance involved in this line of work, but the thing is, that guy offered way too much money. But then it turned out that this fiance of the victim was a seasoned gambler. Then it made sense that he wouldn't resist the load of cash. Well, that fits to the second scenario that I mentioned, how some women were forced into sex work by their um partners. The hotel staff also back up his story about that guy. Smooth talker just to the nice, an obvious rich dude who checked in under the name Charlie, claiming to be a real estate mogul. Like I said, Thailand is a very, very peaceful country with all these religions. So this unusually vicious case hit the newspapers and TV real quick. The exposure of it attracted the attention of a detective of this um, Mukta city. You know, it all seemed too familiar. Female massage died in a hotel and was strangled and the valuables were gone he immediately reached out to Mang Pang, please, offering to share their information. But the deal was, back in those Thai days, cross-regional collaboration was like mission impossible. Especially they weren't sure that if it was indeed the same killer murdering around. And the main hurdle was that Thailand lacked a centralized investigative authority like the FBI back then. So the police... Like a high schooler with a fresh exam paper, meticulously read through the killer's given problems. They were busy with on-site rechecks, evidence evaluations, while the sneaky killer in the shadows silently kicked off another move. So down in Udon Thani, about five hundred meters away from Manglam Pang where the second victim was found, another murder went down. This time, the victim was Pacheri. and yes, it's the unmistakable work of some kid once again. Well, I said that for sure because I read the case when it was all settled, but please, back then still, didn't know it was a serial killer that's been actively killing in various places. On the 19th of June, 2005, at this upscale hotel in the city, a 37-year-old massage therapist got strangled and dumped in a bathtub. And the perpetrator left a fake name to the registration once again, though. He didn't expect that this hotel actually had CCTV cameras. Both the lobby and elevator area were under surveillance. So the whole tracking scene and how the killer and the victim were walking into the elevator were caught on tape. The guy was rocking jeans and a blue and white shirt while the victim was in white, matching the clothes found near the body. Police hired to conduct an investigation at a massage parlor where the victim was employed, which is located 60 kilometers away from Udon Thani. As the guy didn't leave a real name though, the masseuse did write her true names. The police got to find the colleagues over the victim and according to them, this client of hers was said to be a rich dude, supposedly owning a jewelry store. And no one back then suspected a thing as this guy took the masseuse to this really fancy local hotel for two days before heading over to Odontani. Another town together. Now, here's where the plot thickened. Someone mentioned that the victim had some gold jewelry on her and even a phone, but none of it was found at the crime scene. It's almost like the killer swiped the gold bling after the murder. The local police were scratching their heads why would the killer of the Marseilles? Was it just a crime of opportunity, you know, driven by greed? But why the killer had to bring her all the way from one place to another and spend money to luxury hotels before finally killing her? At this point, the Udon Thani police had no clue that cops in two other places were investigating um, two different but similar cases. Like I said back then in Thailand, the police in different regions weren't connected. No unified database or shared Crime information. While well, since the killer's matters were particularly brutal and they had civilian footage showing the murder's face, the local police thought why not share this case information with the National Crime Prevention Bureau in Bangkok. What if those savvy cops in Bangkok have some insights to offer? When these local cops uploaded the data, they didn't really think they would get information on the killer. And surprise, surprise, the murderer wasn't limited to his crime scene and Odontani. It was only at this point that all the cases committed by Sampiat so far were finally linked together, confirming that he was indeed a serial killer. Three murders in a row finally grabbed the attention of the Royal Thai Police. They realized some kid was a serial killer, extremely dangerous and likely to strike again. Plus, he was skilled at deception, good at disguising himself, making him tough to track down. The police figured. One, some kid must have some special quality, making it hard for witnesses to recognize him in photos. Two, due to limited resources, there's only one professional handwriting expert trained in criminal identification who can analyze some kids' writing from five years ago and the hotel register this time. These factors made the case progress at a snail's space. With time running out, an officer from the National Crime Prevention Center Urgently ordered the three regional police to share information with Bangkok cops, draining the investigation. Same a routine, same murder method. Sam kit had his fourth and fifth victims on the nineteenth of June two thousand and five, and the twenty-first of June two thousand and five respectively. These two cases went through a similar drill as the ones I mentioned earlier. Initially the partners or victims were the first suspects on the local police list. After a thorough investigation they got ruled out of their involvement and they all took a 10. The police uploaded the case details to Bangkok and voila. The Bangkok police got interested eventually linking these cases to Samkhet's crime spree. Samkhet committed five consecutive murders within five months, with the last four occurring with a three-week span. It indicates that this person's crime frequency is escalating. With each killing, his audacity grows, posing a higher level of danger and societal threat. For him. Female massage therapists are the easiest targets. He's become their nemesis and nightmare. Well, when all the evidence, fingerprints, hair samples, civilian footage, eyewitnesses, accounts converged at the headquarters of this Royal Thai police, it pointed to some kid as the mastermind behind this five homicide However, he managed to elude the police's pursuit time and time again, continuing his spree. Then how could the Thai police catch him? That's the lingering question everyone was asking back then. The police started searching nationwide for a middle-aged name, matching the killer's description, issuing warnings in newspapers and on TVs, urging hotels and inns across the country to be cautious. At the time, that's the best they could do. Until early June, the killer remained elusive. However, on the 22nd of June, a turning point occurred. In the fifth case, the victim's lost phone miraculously resumed activity. You know, before this, the phone was banging Does auto-reply. is either the number you have dialed is currently unavailable, or the person you are trying to reach has their phone turned off. It was as if the phone had been charged, turned on, and made some calls. Why would I know? The Thai police had contacted the telecommunications company to chase it on the second day after the murder was discovered. Since the Bangkok police had intervened, they were better prepared for the case. Once it was turned on, it would be under surveillance. The call was answered by a woman. She was a widow living in Chai province. Her husband had passed away many years ago, and she's been bringing up her children until this year. She finally met someone that she thought was her true love. And let's call her Kanoka for the story. Going back to February 2003. 36-year-old Kanoka met a man named Samket. Although she didn't know much about him, he was gentle and treated her well. Honestly, she hadn't felt this way in a long time. Samket claimed to be a businessman who frequently traveled for work. Each time he visited, it was only for a few days but that was satisfying enough for her. Every time Samket returned, He brought jewelry as gifts for Kanoka, making her happy. Plus, he probably knew that Kanoka being a single mom was cautious about her kids' sensitivities, you know. He hardly ever insisted on getting intimate with Kanoka. That made her feel respected and grateful. Their relationship gradually deepened and Kanoka even introduced some kids to her father while wow, she thought they were about to get together for good. Although their meetings were very brief each time, they were happy together. Despite she couldn't always chat or contact some kid while he was away, Kanaka believed it was because she was too busy and she thought she could quietly wait for him without interfering much of his business. You know, man, on the 27th of June, 2005, Kanoka, who had been eagerly awaiting Samkit, finally saw him again. He arrived on a new motorcycle, claiming it was a second-hand duty he bought for her. The two got busy living together once again, buying groceries, cooking, and taking walks. The neighbors were convinced that this gentlemanly man was Kanoka's sweetheart. In this evening, Kanoka and Samkit lay in bed watching TV as usual, snuggling together. And there was this news about how is there a serial killer roaming around in Thailand, and you know, all this information about him, wanting to notice and stuff. After watching for a while, Kanoka jokingly asked, Babe, that person looks a lot like you. Samkit's face Suddenly, turned pale and expressionless. He stood up emotionally changed and angrily yelled at Kanoka. What's wrong with him? Why is he so upset? Before she could comprehend, urgent knocking came from outside. Samkit kids stood there like a puffed-up fighting rooster, glaring, and Kanoka, hearing the urgent knocking, even felt a bit flustered. Not sure whether to comfort Samkit first or go to answer the door after hesitating for a moment. Seeing that, Samket remained silent. Kanoka re- reluctantly went to open the door to see who was banging so frantically. As soon as the door opened, a force pushed her aside and before she could get upset about the lack of courtesy, she saw unpleased streaming in and the aunt's police handcuffing both Kanoka and Samkid. When Kanoka was in shock, she was seeing the police taking away her jewelries and valuables that gifted by Samkid. But of course, when the police figured out that Kanoka was innocent and she didn't know a thing about Samkid, they let go of her and explained what was going on this whole time, showing her the wanted notice of her ex. Fiance. On the 29th of June 2005, Samkhet was finally arrested and charged with robbery and the murder of five women. And literally the next day, on the 30th of June, Samkhet was taken for a session with a crime psychologist. But the results of the assessment have never been made public, even now. So we got to guess now. Samkit's tough journey traces back to when he was just five years old. His mom passed away that year, and his dad with a crooked temper barely communicated with him. By the time he turned eight, his father vanished without a trace. Left without support, Samkit sought refuge with his uncle. Since he was living under someone else's roof, and his uncle had three kids of his own. The love Samkhet received was even scarcer. He was kicked out of primary school for stealing, but he later was able to continue his education with help from his uncle. At the age of 13, fed up with repetitive school punishments, Samkit voluntarily dropped out. While his uncle was surprised about his move, to leave the school, he didn't intervene. From that point onward, Sam Kidd truly embraced the life of a societal delinquent engaging in activities like getting paid for fights, specialising in providing false testimony, and being involved in thefts and robberies. And because he was a minor when he had done all of these, he didn't get much punishment with all of these aforementioned behavior, the most severe consequences was a two-month stint in a juvenile education facility. That's where he was registered with, you know, when the police dug out his information in the crime database. Some case criminal experiences indicate that he has non-conforming thoughts and beliefs and a rebellious attitude towards laws and rules. Despite facing repeated punishments, he never learned from his mistakes or engaged in self-reflection, including after his um, final arrest. And you know what that sounds like? People who are having antisocial personality disorder. His lack of proper socialization during his early years is a major factor in this um, antisocial personality disorder, if, of course, I just assumed that he had. Because the authority never published his psychological evaluation. This lack of social interaction stopped Samkhet from developing a good personality and a sense of right and wrong, I think. As Sumkit entered adulthood, he confronted various setbacks in life. He responded to all these challenges by becoming a criminal, dealing with problems through illegal activities, getting what he needed through unlawful methods, and fulfilling his psychological needs through crimes. Each successful crime made him even more determined to achieve his personal goals through illegal activities. Most of Stamke's criminal behaviour was directly influenced by this um, antisocial personality disorder if he actually had it. Well, I need to emphasize this a lot of time that it was only my speculation. So his criminal psychology was relatively straightforward and kind of obvious that he killed for sex. That's what he has been doing to his victims. Then let's not forget about another victim under his lies. Kanoka, what kind of emotions Indeed, Samket truly harbored for Kanoka. Was it romantic love? First off, Samket didn't accept typical romantic behaviors with Kanoka, like kissing, hugging, or engaging in intimate activities. Which Kanoka also found weird, but she brushed it off, thinking it was his considerations and stuff. His attitude towards Kanoka was more about taking care of and protecting her. Consider this, Samke has his own sexual needs, and before committing his crimes, he usually paid for sex workers to satisfy his needs. However, he didn't have these desires specifically for Kanoka. In other words, he wasn't sexually attracted to Kanoka. Moreover, when Samke's mother passed away, she was 37 years old, Kanoka, on the other hand, became acquainted with Samkit in 2003, when she was 36. Both Kanoka and Samkit’s mother had the same profession. They were both truck drivers. By the time Samkit was arrested, he had completely transformed into a serial killer with blood on his hands, an ASPD-type serial killer. Devoid of normal emotional experiences. When Kanoka suspected him and pursued information about him, Semkin's immediate reaction wasn't the typical response of most serial killer. You know, to kill and eliminate any potential threat. He looked angry though. Kanoka didn't feel like she was about to get killed by him at the moment. It all looked like if it was in this well following scenario. Picturing during a parent-teacher meeting, a teacher informs parents that a child broke a window in the classroom. The Mother, in a semi-joking manner, suspects that her own child committed the act. The child becomes hysterical, displaying a face of anger and frustration due to not being trusted. However, this kid would never, ever wanted to hurt his mother. Well, under common situation, in reality, Kanaka was not a wife or fiancé to Samkit. She almost seems like she served as an emotional link, a special emotional compensation mechanism. Samkit was looking for emotional connection with Kanaka because he lost her; when his mother passed away when he was really young. This loss led him to develop a unique. Compensatory mechanism. From a certain perspective, even though some kid has lost almost all normal emotional experiences and lacks basic humanity, he is perpetually seeking the feelings his mother could have provided him at the beginning of his life. Some kid's behavior is shocking because it shows his strong desire for emotional experiences that he missed in his early years. It's like watching someone who can see, trying their best to keep up with everyone else who can. In 2011, Samkhet was found guilty of killing four women out of five victims because there wasn't enough evidence for one case. He was sentenced to death. However, because Samqiu confessed to the crimes and cooperated with the investigation, he was ultimately sentenced to life imprisonment. He was also required to return the illegally obtained property to the victim's families. Normally, our case today would end here. But if you glance at the progress bar, there is another tragedy coming up. Let's take a look at Thailand. Thailand is currently one of the countries, with a large number of prison population in the world. With a staggering 300,000-plus inmates, the operational capacity of the prison in Thailand is three times overloaded. As a result, some well-behaved prisoners get released. Unfortunately, Samkhet happened to be one of those released. In May 2019, Samkhet surprisingly, was released due to his good behavior in prison. A serial killer released into the wild. Who knows what the Thai prison authorities were thinking. Now let's see what Samkit did next. Ordinary folks would cherish life after release, right? But obviously, Samkit wasn't capable of that. After getting out, Samkid didn't change his bad behaviours and went back to his old days. He used Facebook to target a 51-year-old hotel waitress. He pretended to be a lawyer to befriend her. This was one of his specialties, you know, disguising himself as some mainstream and popular social identity to gain the person's, well, his victim's trust and get closer to... They eventually became a couple, and some kid smoothly moved in with the hotel waitress at her place. Only a couple of days living together, he killed that poor woman. On the fifteenth of December 2019, the woman was found dead at her place. In the point of inspection, the police discovered that she was died of strangulation. Actually, by the time she was found. There was this wire wrapped around her neck, and her hands were tied at her wrists. Her feet were also bound at the ankles. You know, the police didn't even need to guess who the killer was. As they found some kids' fingerprints, clothes, necessities there at the crime scene, full of all of his DNA information. And if they still had to run some tests to make out who he was with these things, right, the DNAs, they found a stack of documents that literally have his names on in the victim's place. The DNA was just to confirm that it was a 100% chance that Samkit was the murderer. On the same day, the police discovered the body. They initiated a nationwide manhunt. The portrait of the serial killer Samkid was continuously broadcast on televisions, and posters were pasted everywhere, seeking information from the public. An eyewitness claimed to have seen a monk in Udon Actually, that's where the second victim of Samkid was found, who resembled the facial features of the wanted man, Samkid. The police speculated that. The suspect might be planning to disguise himself as a monk to escape to the adjacent Loi province and then attempted to cross the border into Laos. Immigration and security officers at the thai lao border remained on high alert, conducting thorough searches of this particular suspect. All vehicles and pedestrians heading to Laos underwent inspections at border checkpoints and undercover detectives were deployed to nearby to nearby areas for investigation you know they did their best to stop some kid from crossing the border but was he really going to Laos Thai undercover detectives after extensive checking eventually identified a person who bore a striking resemblance to some kid but it turned out it was just Indeed, another person that looking too much like him. So, where the heck was this some kid gone? A week later, on a train that bound for Bangkok, a university student noticed a unique mark above a guy's left eyebrow. She pretty much told that guy quite a while for verification before she reported it to the police. To her, this guy is just looking too much like some kid. Especially this scar at the eyebrow. Not many people have a scar at such place, would they? Hours after receiving the student's tip, the police arrested some kids at Pangchong train station. The notorious theory killer who had shocked Thailand was once again apprehended in 2019. This time, his photo showed a much larger face than in 2005 and he seemed to have not bad a nutrition back in the prison that made him gain weight. Let's hope that this time they would not easily release him again. And thanks for watching. I will see you in my next video in 2024. Bye!